Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour here. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by Harrison Sanford. Uh, you know him from inside the green room, and you should know him even more. Call to the Booth, brand new show with Akib Talib, who we in uh, L.A. refer to now as a former Ram. Uh, they might disagree in Denver, but uh, great player, great talker. Uh, congratulations. That's an awesome, awesome new show. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thanks. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for everybody tuning in. No, the show with Akeem is a lot of fun. He's raw. Uh, he does not hold anything back. And unlike the show that I do now with Danny, he's not playing anymore. So I don't have people in my DMs telling me that he needs to catch an interception or he missed a tackle <laughs> or anything like that. So I could appreciate that. And uh, we're actually dropping the episode tomorrow with Emmanuel Sanders, who talked about the whole Drew Brees controversy uh, and he talked about obviously just being in the NFL in his what 11th year now and trying to get another Super Bowl ring and losing last year with the 49ers. So a lot of fun, um, obviously. And, you know, if the NBA season does come to an end may, by Friday, a man still has to work. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Absolutely. By yeah. the way, it's funny you mentioned uh, how you end up the guy that everybody screams at if Danny happens to have a bad game because, you know, I guess since you're his podcast co-host, you're now his keeper, and you're responsible for everything that he does, and you'll hear in the DMs. Akeem Tlaib, I imagine, is somebody that nobody talks any shit to in their DMs. Like, he's not the guy that you no, want to no. go at like that. No, that does, that does not happen in any DMs or any type of comments. Now, some people might say, uh, you hurt my fantasy team with this, with this suggestion, but Akeem makes up for it. Uh, like last week, almost every player that he dis that he picked for like our DFS team, every player had at least one touchdown. He's so it's a cheat code. He was uh, great with the Rams. He yeah. he was really cool. He was really funny, and you know he is as candid an active player as you ever would have been around. So I imagine, like you were saying before, Harrison, the setup you have now with him retired and truly able to say whatever he wants. That's a good show. Oh, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm very fortunate that uh, he uh, trusts me to kind of help him build that brand and platform. And as a journalist, all you want is guys to be authentic, and it really doesn't come more authentic than him. Well, if you need him to, uh, if you need him to kind of boost his name value, get his name out there, so people can you know might learn who Akib Talib is, he can always come on the late night happy hour with Say us. We're, we're happy to help him get the word out. Uh, so yeah, uh, call the booth with uh, Harrison Akib Talib. You find that on its podcast. You find it on multimedia Twitter here at uh, at call to the booth. Uh, check it out for sure. Uh, tonight was I I. I, I I'm going to lean into a cliche here, guys. I hope you don't mind. Tonight was a championship game. It, was, it reminded me a lot of Game 7, 2000, uh, 2010. It, like, it wasn't Game 7. It you know, wasn't Lakers-Celtics. It was just a Game 4. But it was that kind of intensity, that kind of grind. And you know, it, it, it was an, kind of an ugly game that the Lakers won leaning on their defense in ways that they have all season long. Like, this is what they've been. Uh, I thought it was really impressive, Harrison. Yeah, I, I you have to be impressed uh, by what Coach Vogel has done all year. And, and in this game, it just sort of showed itself again, putting AD on Jimmy Butler. And you, they've talked about this repeatedly throughout the series, how everybody is live in this Miami Heat uh, offensive system. And yet still, they were able to kind of corral them and obviously the offense still has ways to go, but defensively they're locked in. And Jimmy Butler coming off of that performance, and I know Lakers Twitter uh, made sure to key in on that, that, that time when he screamed at LeBron and how that's kind of been the peril of a lot of teams. I'm sure the Lakers uh, team uh, was ready for them today and using, using all types of motivation uh, in order to get this win. As LeBron alluded to, he thought this was one of the biggest games of his career. Uh, he said that in the press conference tonight, which kind of caught me off guard. But I was you know, very surprised. Yeah. No, but he, they showed it tonight as a team defensively um, to hang in there when the offense did not look pretty. Um, the all, And LeBron with the turnovers and for them to still be locked in defensively uh, for AD to put in the performance that he had. I think all the guys defensively really contributed it. Uh, I know Danny went. He didn't shoot too well, but he had a couple steals. Uh, I think overall, and KCP was moving his feet. Uh, I think overall, obviously, the defense was great. And I know maybe we'll talk about this before I leave, but I think the defensive play is actually why AD might win finals MVP uh, over LeBron. But we could talk. I'm sure you guys want to talk about that later. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the versatility that we see from AD, and particularly, I mean, I thought he played well defensively in the first half, but the second half, I thought he really turned it on. He really just turned on his game in general in the second half, as did LeBron. But the things that Anthony Davis can do defensively and the different ways he can affect a game, there are few people like it. Because, I mean, even somebody like Draymond, who's obviously a really, really versatile, smart, you know, stalwart defender, there are things he can't do that Anthony Davis can do simply because he's, what, like seven inches seven shorter? Inches shorter. Right, exactly. exactly. There, there are things that even like LeBron, who's one of the freak, you know, most freakish athletes in professional sports history and an amazing defender in his own right that he can't do. Like maybe, I mean, maybe a guy like Bam in a few years could really reach the point where you start seeing him do the type of things that AD does. But for the time being, he's pretty singular in the league along those lines. I agree. And we've seen it all playoffs. We've seen his comfort level in switching on the pick and roll with Jamal Murray. We've seen his ability to help in the trapping uh, defense for James Harden. Uh, we saw it back in the Blazers series where him, uh, and this is really where, you know, th- nobody's really talking about JaVale McGee, uh, or he obviously talked about Dwight Howard more in the, the Rockets series, but they, the way they hedged those, uh, those pick and rolls, the way they blitzed those pick and rolls for uh, the, the Blazers guards were great. But AD, not only has he, has he been, gr- he's been, has he been great, but he's been great in multiple defensive schemes, mm-hmm. um, switching, hedging, staying by the basket, being just going vertical. He has every tool in the toolbox defensively. And yes, he's tall, but he's agile. He's able to move his feet. And with that length and also the IQ uh, as well, in order doing the right things. And you have to obviously credit the, folk, the coaching staff for uh, putting him in the right position. And obviously, I'm sure LeBron and Rondo have been great in his ears defensively. Uh, but what he's done and really set the tone and identity for this team with his defensive work uh, is amazing. Uh, what he's been able to do. Yeah, and I should mention, I guess, the final score, 102-96. I mean, you look at it, and again, it was, a, it was a grind. The Lakers, yeah, until the it was the third quarter, end of the third quarter, before anybody other than LeBron had a free throw. Like, they, they, the, the half-court offense was uh, muddy, to say the least. And, you know, Eric Spolster and the Heat, I thought, did a tremendous job because they didn't shoot the ball well. I mean, they were in the, in the low, th- low to mid-30s for a lot of this game. And yet the Lakers still had very few opportunities to run out and push pace despite plenty of missed shots. Like they took that whole game away from the Lakers. Um, it, it, it was, I, 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 did you guys feel like this was like they were going to lose at any point? Like I, I didn't, but it was, it was awfully close. Like I, I couldn't figure out what to make of this game despite the fact the Lakers had the two best players and seem to be able to get what they needed, and particularly the stops they needed when Miami got it close. But it was a, it was tense. Yeah, definitely tense moments. Uh, I think, for me at least, I always thought the Lakers would win, one, because they're the better team, and two, you have to imagine, at some point, the turnovers would go back down to a regular amount for LeBron. There was so many lost possessions in that first half, trickling over from that game three loss. Uh, if they could just get good possessions that don't end in turnovers. Now, granted, some possessions, even though they didn't finish as turnovers, still felt like them because of the you know the shot that was taken at the last second of the shot mm-hmm. clock. Uh, it still felt as if as long as they can get a number of plays that don't result in turnovers, eventually they would end up winning the game. I mean, we saw what happened in the end there, even when the shots didn't hit because they were actually able to get up a shot here comes AD with an offensive rebound. Here comes LeBron with an offensive rebound. Here comes Rondo with an offensive rebound. And we've seen that throughout the entirety of the series. If you just get a shot up with their size, they're going to have an advantage because sometimes a, a good missed shot, uh, a missed shot is a good thing because it could lead to a layup. Um, and I think somebody put out the stat on Twitter shortly after the game. I think they only missed one shot inside the paint. Uh, in the second half or something along those lines during the fourth quarter, I'd have to go back and look. But uh, their size different, their, their size differential, um, along with not turning over the ball, should be a very easy uh, easy formula to capitalize on. To answer your question, Brian, did I think they were going to lose tonight, the Lakers? No. 
Was I concerned it could happen? Yes, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does, I mean, like, absolutely. The, yeah, but it's, it, then that's what I'm getting at, Andy. It's like it was, it, it was one of those for the way. Well, it's yeah. you know, you and I were texting back and forth, and and at one point you texted to me, "This is a weird game," mm -hmm. and I responded by saying, "Like it reminds me just of the way finals games progress in general. They they yeah, usually absolutely. get muddier." They, they usually just get more mucked up. These guys are so gassed. And on top of it, you know, they, they have been in this bubble since mid-July. Like, and, and that's a whole different mental toll. Like, I, I was playing some armchair psychologist with LeBron, you know, from yesterday's game where he was, you know, pretty inexplicably out of it by his standards, you know, especially with the carelessness with the ball. And we were starting to see that in the first half of this game. And LeBron has not been subtle about the idea that he doesn't like this bubble and he is ready to get the hell out of there. And I started wondering, like, does LeBron see the light at the end of the tunnel? And that's actually a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like it's almost so close that he could be getting out of there that he can't focus on anything other than, but, yeah. Oh my God, get me the hell out of here. Well, win the goddamn game. Like win fast. Like I, yeah. I, I wonder Harrison, like, what do you – because for LeBron James, to, who has played some significant basketball games in his life, to call game three – or game four, I should say – of a finals where his team is up 2-1, one of the most important games of his career. Let's, I mean, let's assume that he's you know taking him at face value and he's telling the truth. What do you think is behind that? Oh, I think there's a multitude of factors. I think, you know, if they lose this series, he what, goes to 3-7 and seven in the finals. That matters. Mm -hmm. uh, it can't – I assume he's at the point where he really doesn't want it to get worse. Uh, I think because of what has happened for this franchise and particularly the passing of Kobe Bryant, I think that matters to him as well. I think just overall the historical impact and significance of this season playing in the bubble, I think that matters to him as well. And then you throw on the fact that he's going against a former team and he admitted back in 2016 when they won the finals that what Pat Riley said to him when he left the Heat uh, in reference to uh, saying that he'll never win again for him to actually have this potential historic finals win against an owner that or a general manager team president that said you'll never win again against him in the bubble uh, all those things like you're LeBron James you played for 17 years you need every string of motivation well, that can and, come and your way and that's a platter for him well that's something on. Brian and I also talked about before Harrison uh, when the series was about to start. You're talking about with LeBron and Pat Riley, two guys with really long memories. Like these are two guys that do yeah. not let go of a damn thing. And you know, I know LeBron has said that this doesn't mean anything extra to him. And you know, I'm no, I don't believe him. <laughs> I don't believe him at all. Not Liar. I mean, you know, maybe Riley is more vengeful because, it, like, if you put a gun to my head and said which of the two is more of a psychopath, I. would I'd pick Riley like along those lines, but they are both psychotically uh, just competitive people. And, you know, they are considered like the greatest at what they've done respectively. Like Pat Riley is considered among the greatest coaches, GMs and shapers of teams and cultures in NBA history. LeBron James is considered among the greatest basketball players in NBA history and their paths have crossed in great ways and then they parted in ways that had some acrimony they're both gonna for, they're both gonna remember this Have it's not gonna go away no it can't it's impossible it's impossible because they had so much success and to see i'm sure pat riley thinking of uh lebron where he is now and being back in the finals i'm sure pat riley said to himself well i could have did this with you might have been able to do this faster um so yeah of course it has to be both of their minds uh, uh showtime yeah Showtime is back saying Harrison holding it down for folks with hair. And shout out to the Cam brothers. We appreciate that. No, yes, I mean, indeed. look, this is a nice, you know, <laughs> nicely shaped dome here. You know, it's it's, it's all right. There you go. Uh, I used to have it good, Harrison. I got to okay. tell you. Okay. Is, is I used to, look at this. I oh, used to go. have it good. Oh, yeah. Oh, there he goes. Glorious I hair. Cut my hair all quarantine. I've been growing it out. I'm just trying to make sure. Wait, that's grown out in. Well, I haven't months? like. I haven't like picked it all out and blown it out, but yeah, I've been growing it because I don't. How know. big could it get? I don't know what ha I don't know what happens on the back end. Uh, Is it like a loaf of bread? Like, like you just heat it up a little bit and it just rises and proofs? I mean, yeah, <laughs> it just rises and proofs and goes really wild. 
Uh, funny story, if you go ahead, if, if you look at pictures of Danny last year in the Toronto Raptors celebration, he blew his hair out and it was like, this longer than the actual, it's, it's, it's a tremendous photo. Um, <laughs> it's something you'd have to see to kind of really understand. Well, I'm jealous of anybody who can do anything even moderately interesting <laughs> with their hair, it, it, except like grow it out and look like Gallagher. That's basically the only trick that I can do. Um, I, the, the, the thing about um, AD and like the whole team's defense, like I asked Frank Vogel earlier in the playoffs, like what it means when your team like really believe, like genuinely believes in itself defensively when their identity really is cuz it's not a I mean they score points but they're not a great elegant offensive team and they haven't been all year. Um but they like they're really capable of completely dominating on the other end. And like what that means for you in the playoffs and he talked about swagger and he talked confidence and all this stuff. Tonight was the night where you saw it. Like they knew like it, it, if they needed to hold Miami to 8 points then that's what they were going to get and they they genuinely believed it. I thought Harrison that that really was what came through in their confidence tonight with with whoever was on the floor. Yeah, uh, you have to give a big shout out to Frank Vogel for uh, enforcing this mindset on the team and LeBron for the buy in that he had uh, going into this training camp. And I think uh, underrated aspect of this team, and I thought it was very cliche, and it kind of was kind of annoyed me that Danny brought this up and some of the guys brought it up in the middle in, in early in the season. They talked about team chemistry. You're like, oh, team chemistry. Yeah, okay, whatever. But you could see how much that matters to this team specifically because we've seen other teams not have great chemistry and not able to make it this far in the bubble. The Clippers, for example, um, if they had better team chemistry, who's to say they don't lose that will to uh, going against the Nuggets? And chemistry is a, almost a big factor too, as well defensively, because you got to start trusting guys. You got to start believing in guys. You have to start to say, "Hey, I don't have the lateral quickness for this guy, or I don't have the strength for this guy, or these guards for Houston." If you're Javale McGee, I can't keep up with them. Markeith, take my minutes. It's all good. Or if you're Dwight, or in another sense, if you're Dwight Howard, like, "Oh, I'm not ready for this series." But I'll be ready. I'll be ready for Jokic. If Javel McGee says, "Oh, Dwight's the stronger guy. He's better for Jokic than I am." If they don't have team chemistry, it doesn't matter. Um, but they have great team chemistry. So allowing these defensive uh, alterations for, per series or per game really trickles down to one the knowledge uh, of the of the coaching staff and the players, and two the integrity that the guys have, and three just the bond that they were able to create dating back from when they were in Vegas, off to China. And right. Obviously, during this whole madness of what's been an NBA season, that's a great point though you make though about the it, not so much not just like the 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 chemistry, the getting along that, but the candor that it requires to play defense. Like, I need you to pick me up here. I will. I'll cover for you back here. Let's switch this. Whatever it is, like I that's it, it, that's something that I haven't Andy heard emphasized in that way, and it's a great point. You know, you know I I have th I've heard it talked about before not necessarily along the lines of chemistry but just i think harrison what you're getting at like there's a certain humility that's required in terms yeah. of really being able to play defense effectively because you have to be honest with yourself about your strengths and weaknesses like i remember years ago when we used to cover luke walton as a player and he was talking about after a practice how like there's a lot of pride in that team defensively and like the ability to handle assignments by themselves and, you know, not wanting to call for help. And somebody asked him, you know, like if, if he's the same way with all things like, Oh no, I'm always telling Bynum, I need help. Like, look behind me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy telling Bynum, I'm going to be funneling this guy to you yeah. or I'm going to be using your back line. And, you know, it's not that Luke wasn't competitive, but Luke also just recognized like, I'm not Kobe. I'm not, Ron Artest. I'm not Lamar Odom. I can't do this myself. And, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to screw up this entire defense trying to show that I'm a man or whatever. Like I'm going to call Bynum for help like because I need it. Yeah, it's very it's very it's very important for the defensive success of a team, uh, because as we've seen, there's so many different play styles now in the NBA. There's there's big men shooting threes. There's still big men posting up. There's teams that don't play big men. There's teams that have big men that are elite passers like Jokic or like a very, very good passer, like a Bam Adebayo. You have guys running off and taking what would have seemed like, what would seem like 
uh, unwise threes. But in these in this day and age, it makes all the sense in the world. The, the actions that they run for Duncan Robinson and the angles that he's able oh. to shoot off of and he's encouraged to shoot off of, that requires humility on the defensive end. That requires communication. And that requires you being able to say, hey, you suck right now or you can't move right now or you didn't challenge that shot and this guy's going to take your minutes and you got to live with that. Where was um, It's a very difficult thing to juggle if you do not have chemistry. It was game two or game I forget what it was where where LeBron with Jimmy Butler I'm sorry it was I'm going back to the last round it was LeBron on Jamal Murray that's what I'm thinking of mm-hmm. um you know I, I wonder like are there teams where you know LeBron said I mean you know AD's probably not going to take seven minutes of J- uh, Jamal Murray down the stretch so again that's that's a tough one but you know LeBron could pick up Jimmy Butler like that's a natural matchup for him but tonight it was really AD that you know they started to put a lot of length on Butler after he got off to that great start, and I think it was three of twelve or something after five for five. And like I wonder if there are situations where this two stars, the two alphas, or whatever it is, compete for that like the 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 aesthetics or whatever the right word is of the being the guy who guards the other guy in the moment that everybody sees. Like that doesn't yeah, happen here. Yeah, I'm sure that's happened. I mean, obviously. I think we all think about that uh, moment from the last dance or even just in the history of Jordan and, and, and Pippen when they wanted to, they argued over who was going to guard Tony Kukoc uh, just to make to, as a sign of like symbolism of, of what it was going to be like if he came to the Bulls. But no, it's important. And AD talked about it, how he told LeBron, hey, you have this responsibility here of uh, being a playmaker and things of that nature. I, I, I want Jimmy, let me do this for you. As opposed to I can, as opposed to I can do this better than you. It's mm-hmm. let me do this for you. Let me do this for us. Let let me do this for the sake of getting another title for this franchise and for us as a group. You know, speaking of that, in terms of let me do this for somebody else, like we hear, you know, throughout the entire playoffs, playoff Rondo, playoff Rondo, you know, to mm-hmm. the point where it's becoming cliche, and we we know Rondo famously hates it, and frankly, kind of resents it. Yeah. But tonight to me was the epitome of what you would call playoff Rondo, if that's your thing. After he and LeBron collided for that uh, for that rebound after a Miami miss, and like LeBron looked like he had maybe re-aggravated his groin again. You know, he was he was holding holding the like area. So <laughs> um, and it looked like he was uncomfortable. You know, there was a timeout and you know you're concerned, uh oh, what, what's this gonna be? long-term, but also just in this game, the next two possessions, they the Lakers score on a Rondo layup, then a Rondo AD pick and roll that leads to AD hitting a three. And I don't think LeBron touched the ball on either possession in crunch time. Crazy. And like, th- like, A, it's crazy. B, it, you know, it again, epitomize of the playoff Rondo, if that's something you believe in. But also, too, it's the idea of let me do this for you, even if it's not spoken that way. Like that's literally Rondo taking that mm-hmm. taking that responsibility off LeBron's shoulders in, in a moment where LeBron may not have been entirely physically up to it. But he's also the he's the guy that can do it. He's the only other guy in this team that can do that. That was his first field goal of the game when he goes in for that layup at mm-hmm. the end. I mean, the rebounds, I'm not saying he didn't do anything useful up to that point, but that was his first bucket, Harrison, and it came then. I mean, it's it's wild because as you guys have monitored the the sentiment among fans, I, I, I remember it like it was almost yesterday. It's been a long time since then. But back in, I think that game was Christmas Day where Frank mm-hmm. Vogel alluded to, uh, elected to play Rondo to finish the game on the court with LeBron. And almost every Laker fan, almost every basketball aficionado would say it doesn't make any sense to have LeBron and Rondo on the floor at the same time. Why would you do that? And look at how the t- the tables have turned in the playoffs. It almost feels like it's a necessity because of what Rondo can add from an IQ standpoint, playmaking standpoint, and things of that nature. It's gone from basically let's bury Rondo under a statue to let's build Rondo one for himself. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's basically where it's where it's. But you know, I mean, it's not like it wasn't deserved. I mean, he was he was a negative player by a lot. Yeah, in the regular season, it wasn't even close. It was by a lot in the regular season, and but uh, this is another thing. I know we're going to let you go here in a second here, but like this is 
where I think you really have to give Vogel a lot of credit. It's the it's this the step by step building of what this team has been able to do, and I do not think they're going to blow a three one lead, and I don't think anybody thinks they're going to blow a three one lead. In terms of building the defensive culture, layer by layer by layer, in terms of building a, a a supporting cast around AD and LeBron, where you can start Dwight in the first half, yank him, put in you know uh, Morris in the second, you can start Javale, you can uh, all these things, and everybody kind of knows their place, and and I get why, but they've built to this point to have the flexibility, to have the versatility that they have. And that's a Vogel thing. And I, I am one of the things that makes me happy about this series, Harrison, is he's kind of getting a little bit of shine that he wasn't throughout the year. Yeah. And, and I think during the season, it's it, it's hard uh, to see during the regular season, it was hard to see that because, you know, me as an observer, hey, do you have a five that you're going to close the game with every time? It always felt like it was different. Like, hey, why aren't, isn't this guy getting consistent minutes in this moment? And I know, all, you know, everybody's wondering, why doesn't Caruso get so many minutes? But there is value. To almost everybody who you think could play in playoff games, getting minutes, getting moments to play during the regular season. There's value to just keeping a guy like JaVel McGee engaged throughout the course of the regular season. Even if you don't know if he fits for every playoff series, you need him to be engaged. You need him to, and in order to be engaged, you've got to respect that man. You've got to give him his minutes. And I think all that trickled down to the moment that we're at now. Uh, the fact that they were able to juggle everything and, and have the level some like inconsistencies with the rotation and still get the number one seed while doing that, it's pretty damn good. Uh, but for them to get to that point and then now being able to say, hey, you played minutes in this moment, you played minutes in these moments, you played minutes with this guy, you played minutes with this guy. Yeah, you might not have had the most consistent moments that maybe another team would have had. You have so much experience with the multitude of lineups and playing styles. You know, I actually I just remembered it. earlier in the season, I wrote a piece um, for The Athletic about how Troy Daniels, when he was obviously still on the team, Quinn Cook and Jared Dudley, there was a stretch of games where guys were hurt. And the three of them who, you know, really had barely played to that point, all really stepped up, you know, pretty cold, you know, to that point. Mm -hmm. And that feels like kind of a microcosm of what you're talking about. In terms of these guys, the ability to stay ready, the ability to stay professional and, and to really understand, you know, the value in your role of just being ready, you know, because, I mean, readiness by definition means, you know, a surprise factor. Yeah. Like you're, you're being, you know, it's, it's like the same reason you buy insurance. You, you don't know if you'll ever truly need it in a tangible way, but you still go out and renew it every year. Why you need to make sure you have it? Yeah, no, and, and all point. of these, all of these guys have been like a basketball version of insurance. Like I can't think of a time this season where anybody has really needed to step up, and they just have seen unready. Yeah, no, it's important, and you know, I, it's funny because as it was happening throughout the course of the season, I reflected back to covering the Raptors last year, and I remember Raptors fans being so upset that Serge Ibaka was sharing minutes with Marcus Soule. People were like, well, it doesn't make any sense. You got two centers out there. Well, here goes the 76ers series where they were getting killed on the boards until Nick Nurse decided to play Serge Ibaka and Marcus Soule together, which he did sporadically during the regular season, even though to the common fan or even the common basketball fan who like has knowledge of the game, you thought it didn't make sense until it makes sense when it really counts. Yeah, it's these guys know what they're doing. Like the really elite guys, Spo is is certainly in that crew, and it's been fun to watch him coach. Um, Harrison Sanford is the the host of Inside the Green Room. Call to the booth, new show with Akib Tlaib. You know how we feel about web content, Harrison. So we're all <laughs> we're all on board with that, dude. Thanks, for, I know it's extremely busy right now. Uh, thanks well, for giving us a little time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate, appreciate it, brother. It. Thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. You too. All right. So that was Harrison Sanford. Go check out his new show. Um, in addition to uh, Inside the Green Room, right, which one that you, you probably already check out. Um, I, the, you know, the, it, well, we, got, we still have a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about, including KCP, including, uh, you know, kind of LeBron, the MVP. A lot of people asking the chat, Andy, about who's going to win MVP and who you think you would give it to. But I'm, I'm still I'm still really impressed with just the the way that this whole thing has come together. And the other the, the other side of this question about them preparing, I think, for this setup where you got to move people in and out. I think it's it based in part of like 
okay, if all of this other stuff's not going to matter in the playoffs because the playoffs are going to be about LeBron and AD, and everybody else going to fall in line because who's not who's going to complain at that point? But I do give the Lakers some credit, and I think it was intentional in that they found a lot of guys who are kind of used to this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, we we talked earlier with Harrison about JaVale McGee, and you know he's gone from starting to coming off the bench to getting a lot of DNP CDs, and he is still a really enthusiastic guy on the bench. And I think some of that is just JaVale has matured right. a lot over the years, and he's a good guy, and he just wants to win championships, and he wants to be a good teammate. But also, he he had this role in Golden State, exactly where he won championships. Quinn Quinn Cook, you know, who has barely played in the playoffs, but he is, we you know, we are in that locker room, you know, back when locker rooms existed. They love him in there. He is a really popular guy in that locker room, and it is in part because he has an he has an amazing attitude, and he really really wants to win. Like if you ever talk with Quinn Cook after a game, I guarantee winning, just the word winning will come up multiple times. He just he cares a lot about that. And I, I he is also somebody that has gone from, you know, starting in the playoffs, you know, when he's needed to fill in, I believe for Steph Curry, to not playing at all. And he's good with it. I mean, he he joined this team having to know that's going to be your role. Yeah. Like, or at least there's a good possibility that's going to be your role. And, and he wanted that because he saw the opportunity to get another championship. Yeah. It's, but it's like, and then, you know, somebody like Dwight, like Dwight is literally in a, and look, he played great. But, you know, in the playoffs, he, he's had moments. Uh, there's no question. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, he's, it's, it's not been a Dwight Howard playoffs, you know, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, you go back to the regular season, like he's not going to be able to complain about stuff because he knows like he's on his last leg. So for, you know, this is last chance saloon for him. So regardless of the reasoning, whether it's JaVale who's done it and that's his role and he gets it and understands, you know, somebody like Avery Bradley, who's in, you know, something in the lineup, the guard rotations change. Alex Caruso's just not, he's not a person who is going to, cause trouble over his minutes that he's just not built that way um doesn't really have you know doesn't have the gravitas yet but it's just not him like they just have a bunch of guys who are well suited to the roles they play whether on accident or i think actually an underrated part of rob palenka's design for this team i mean no roster is ever created 100 percent um you know technically and and with like you get lucky with certain things but i don't think this was i don't think this was something they didn't weren't aware of when they were putting it together yeah i mean even somebody like kuzma for example it he hasn't i want to make i want to preface what i'm about to say to make it clear he has not been complaining at all like not one iota that being said it's pretty clear that he would like a role he would prefer a role where an offense is built more around him and, oh, you know, yeah, where absolutely. he had more opportunities. Because I think as much as Kuzma's really, I think, admirably trying to become more of a well-rounded player, if anything, he's been better in these playoffs. Defensively, defensively. Tonight, he, he played a great game defensively. Yes, he did. Like everybody else on the team. Yes, he did. And defensively in the playoffs, he's been much stronger than offensively, which is certainly not the way the season began. But all things being equal, especially as a young player who's still looking for his first big contract, you know, numbers often dictate that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and he understands that not being in the position to put up those type of numbers could affect his finances. But he doesn't he doesn't complain at all. He gets it. Like two he, things he about understands it. it. Yeah. Two, I, I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's like two things about that that I think first is. I do think on some level he's smart enough to understand that showing this kind of versatility, everybody already believes he can score, or at least the people who believe he's a scorer believe. I'm not sure he's the, the type of dominant you know, scorer that he thinks he is, but he clearly can put the ball in the basket. And I think show, I think he's aware that showing the rest of his game like this, making the, the right pass um, you know, in a combination with all of these other skills is actually going to help him you know, when, when the time comes. I also wonder... And I, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I wonder if he really does see himself as somebody who's going to be here for a long time. 
And if the answer is no, and look, the Lakers are going to go into the offseason with Danny Green's $15 million as a potential thing as salary ballast that you can use if they decide that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, if they decide they want to make a move, he's one of the few guys with a contract that's movable um, for, a, for somebody who makes any money. And then the other marketable guy is Kuzma. I mean, they're not trading Caruso. They're not going to do that kind of stuff. And so Kuzma has, has marketability. Who has some redundancy with the team's two best players. Right. You, you know, like it, there's never going to be an opportunity with AD and LeBron here for Kuzma to be what, what he really is naturally suited to be. And so if Kuz thinks that he might be out the door, if not this offseason, the next, whenever it is, this could be his best chance to get a ring. Like he's here now and he can do this now. He can help himself. He can help his career and he can do just play hard and get a ring now and go be Kyle Kuzma, the, the frontline scorer somewhere else in a couple of years. Like I, I don't think Kuzma is unaware of any of this stuff. And again, it's not a negative. I, I would be, I'm aware of it and I'm not, I'm not him. Yeah. And, and I think he gets, it. I mean, look, he was once part of a young core that was being heavily marketed. I mean, however, uh, however genuine or disingenuously you want to you want to say, it, looking back on it, but he was part of a young core that was being heavily marketed at, by this team as the foundation for a future. And he's literally the only guy that wasn't traded. Mm -hmm. He's the only guy that was not either traded for Anthony Davis or moved to create cap space to eventually bring in LeBron. And at the time, they thought Paul George, but eventually Anthony Davis, you know, having that type of space or let go like Julius Randle. I mean, like literally that entire young core of to be fair to the Lakers and to give them credit in terms of their process, they drafted really well. Yeah. They did a really good job drafting, whether in the lottery, whether at the back of the first round. Whether in the second round, the Lakers did a terrific job. Yeah, I mean, say what you want. I mean, D'Angelo Russell was disappointed. He doesn't suck. I mean, he's no. a good player. No, D'Angelo Russell managed to get a max contract. Right. He can and, other than, and that's the Porzingis year, correct? Like, that's, I mean, other than yeah. drafting Porzingis, like yes. the guy, I mean, which I, I, I mean, better player, obviously. But I mean, had they drafted Chris Tapps Porzingis, people would have burned the facility down. Like, it would have been. It is revisionism of the highest order when people are like, oh, my God, we were ever, you know. No, if they took Porzingis in that at that time in that space, people would have freaked the fuck out. And, and, and look, there's nobody I'm looking at the draft right now other than Porzingis, who, you know, got a little bit of talk in that spot. But it was really a conversation much. between Russell and, and Okafor. Okafor. And clearly, Russell was the pick over Okafor. It's not even yes. close. You got to go down to 13 with Devin Booker to find a player that is definitively better than D'Angelo Russell. And Devin Booker almost slipped out of the lottery. So I'm, I'm not holding that against the Lakers. No. Brandon Ingram obviously was a very good player. You know, Julia, Julius Randle, you know, if nothing else, is a quality a good player. I mean, I, I, I don't have the, that draft in front of me, but... You know, are there guys they could have taken that are better players than Randall? I'm sure somewhere in that, you know, they took him seventh, correct? Like, yes, somewhere in that, you know, no, not, not many, too many, but not like, many. I don't look at that range like three or four or five guys behind. Cause if you get to like 10 guys behind, it's like everybody, you the know, next guy, I'm looking right now, the next guy behind Randall that you could look at and say could be definitively better than Randall is Zach Levine at 13. And then after that, you got TJ Warren at 14. I mean, TJ Warren had a breakout in the bubble, and he's a, he's a he's solid a player. player. He's a good player. But here's the thing. It's like it's not – and this is where – I mean, look, and the Lakers this offseason have to either – if they, assuming they keep the pick. Like, this is important in this sense. Like, it's not just necessarily like, – it's great if you can hit a home run. But most seventh picks, ninth picks, tenth picks, you know, where the Lakers have been picking 29th, I believe, like – those guys don't turn out to be great. Like all stars, you know, that's where they tend to come from if you happen to get one. But if you get a guy at seven who's a good player who plays for 13 years in the league, which Julius Randle's going to do, oh, that's a good draft. If you go to the history of seventh round, I mean, seventh uh, overall picks, and you go through like the last 15, 20 years, I don't have the list in front of me. 
I'm very confident Julius Randle's in the top half. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. very confident. Absolutely. I mean, so, I'll, yeah, I'll anyway, I mean, like to get to get back to to Kuz and and all this, like this is, you know, this is where they are, and like the, the you know the, the I. I don't know. The window is obviously open. Let's assume they wrap it up on Friday, you know, knock on wood there. You know, there's no reason to keep this thing going. And I think this was, in a lot of ways, Miami's best shot, like, you know, in terms of emptying what they had in terms scheme-wise, energy-wise. They're not going to give up. The, I'm not saying they're going to give up. But I'm saying, like, this was one of those, like, they're not going to win. They're also not going to win three in a row against They're them. not going to win three in a row. I could picture them winning game five. Sure, I can't. I still can't win. I can too. There's especially depending on how the Lakers come out, and depending but, if Dragic can manage to get himself I, through. I, again. I can't. I can't imagine him playing effectively. I just can't. That is such a painful injury. It, it is a really painful injury. But maybe if he can just give them 15 minutes that are 20 percent better than. Yeah, the, I mean, I, I get that, but I just, I also feel like the every time you add a presence like that, I think Bam's presence in Game Four. Helped lock the Lakers back in, sure. Um, and so I think if you bring in Dragic, that elevates. And and there is just, I mean, LeBron. If LeBron wa- is is LeBron wants this thing to be over on Friday because I think they're running out of legs too. I think he, I think that's part of it. Like everybody's tired. You talked about that earlier in the show, but I think also LeBron realizes like, yeah, I'm getting tired. AD's getting tired. We're leaving shots short. We're doing a lot of that stuff, and you don't want to let them maybe out you know non-fatigue you or whatever and a better way of saying that would be get get it done like to to quote the uh, great philosopher Murtaugh I'm getting too old for this shit yeah exactly like LeBron right now there's no need for a game six or game seven absolutely not so um I I suspect like that's where but like the window is open for this pairing but what you put around them is very flexible. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be Kyle Kuzma. And it doesn't have to be Danny Green. It doesn't have to be Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee. You know, like they're, they're going to have a lot of flexibility in who else. I think the team actually could look very similar next year just because of the way that they are against the cap and, and so on. But there'll be some tweaks. And what we've learned this year is that Vogel can wrap guys in and out and really in the end, as long as you find enough dudes who can do what LeBron and AD need them to do, it doesn't matter who they are. Speaking of that, wrapping guys in and out, just because we've both talked a lot about how we think, on balance, Frank Vogel's done a really good job coaching throughout these playoffs. That decision to start the second half with Markeith Morris as opposed to Dwight Howard, it, it's another really good decision and one that wasn't really surprising just because... It, it's interesting. Bam is not a three-point threat, but in his own right, he's actually kind of a floor stretcher because he can play from the high post as a exactly. facilitator, yeah. as a driver. Like he reminds me a lot of the Great way the and roll action. Yeah, he, he reminds me in some ways of, but more dynamic of how the Warriors used to use Andrew Bogut. You know, in a way that even though you know Bogut had no shooting range really at all, you had to pay attention to him at the top of the arc. Because he was such a good passer, you know they they would run the offense through him at times, and you know he can't do some of the things that Bam would do, but you have to account for him in some mm-hmm. way, if nothing else, with mobility. And Markeith has more mobility than Dwight, and Dwight wasn't very effective in the it's first. Just half. Right, I was about to say it, it, it's also too. It's a matter of like what are you clinging to? Um, and I look, I think it's I think it's great. His willingness, and by him, I mean Vogel, his willingness to just say, okay, you know, we did it this way and now we're doing it that way and not hang on to this is our lineup. Not, I mean, this was a mistake Doc did with, with Montrose Harrell in the playoffs. It's like, no, I'm sticking with my guy. I'm sticking with the, you know, the guy who got me here who's played well. And like that sort of loyalty to Harrell who wasn't good in the bubble and there are extenuating circumstances and we know his story about his grandma and all these other things. That had to be difficult to play through. And he just, he wasn't good. And Dwight Howard was a force for the Lakers all year long. But in some of these matchups, he hasn't been particularly effective, or it's just the wrong guy on the floor at the wrong time. And, you know, he's shown loyalty to his players as human beings 
um, and supported them and, and never, you know, I don't, I can't think of a negative thing or a, or a, a passive aggressive dig. I mean, I can't think of anything from, for any player on this roster all year long. Never. I, it just doesn't happen. I'm actually really thinking about this now. I I'm, I, I'm, so am I. I'm trying, I mean, it came into my head and I'm now I'm running it back and trying to think of it. I mean, I've heard him say before that he thought the team collectively didn't play well and he right. would or die, you know, he had a bad game it wasn't his night you know whatever but there's always it's always followed with yeah but like when kcp and he's a perfect example to move into him when kcp sucked at the beginning of the year <laughs> all frank vogel would talk about was how his defense and energy were impactful and made the team better and you know he was shooting like 13 percent from the floor for the first 10 games or whatever it was and you never heard anything about how, yeah, you know, he's going to have to pick it up if he wants to stay on the floor. Like, you know, we need more production from the Never. It was always, but his defense, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. His defense is great. His energy is great. He makes us better. And since the first eight or nine, 10 games, whatever it was, KCP has been very quietly one of the most consistent players on the team and has had a consistently solid impact in the playoffs, even after two finals games in a row where he shot the ball horribly. Yeah, and you know, when you and I were talking about what we wanted to get into tonight, like beyond the way KCP played tonight, and you know, I, I joked on Twitter that Mana is now known as KCP from heaven, you yeah. know, referencing the old uh, Rob Palinka quote at the introductory press conference of KCP when he was described as Mana from heaven, which you know, was, even tonight, a little bit of an overstatement, a little bit of an overstatement, but KCP, I'm really happy to see have games like this because that guy is so easy to root for and you can see why his teammates got his back and really, really like him because he plays so damn hard on every possession. Like any mistake, even earlier seasons where, you know, the swings with KCP could be just maddening. And I mean, the, the, there are times when just the decision-making and, Certain things you do on the court, it's like, what the F, man? Like, what are you doing? But you can never fault the guy's effort. And when you see it this year really come together, I think in part because a lot of what he does is more simplified now and his role is so clear and he's so confident playing with AD and with LeBron. It, it's he's never in charge of generating his own offense anymore. Although, no, although he did a really, really good job tonight, though, setting up AD. You know, he's he's had a few instances in these playoffs where he's actually been a much better playmaker than, you know, at times I've been confident he could do. But he's just he's an easy guy to root for. And it's really fun to see him have these games, because like you said earlier, Brian, earlier in the season, he was getting beat up to hell by fans. And yeah. that's hard and he took look, and with some cause. But like part of it is, too, it's like. You do have these memories. I mean, he is, to some degree, a kind of a less is more player, particularly offensively. You don't want him to be a featured player offensively. Uh, you want him shooting open threes and whatever. And like to his credit, like his coming into the season, there was a lot of question as to whether or not KCP was which guy was he? The guy who shot very well from three in his first season in LA, not so well after that. Like historically, no. Uh, or is he a guy who you know? Can can knock down that shot, and you know the Lakers' three point shooting has not been a great all this season, but you know he's been good enough. He's been you know and he's come through that way, and like you said, he's so integral. He's like Danny Green in that way. Green's been a really, uh, I think, overall kind of a disappointment uh, shooting the ball. Although I think if you for people who are paying attention, I wrote about this before the the season started for the Athletic. Like there was, you know, what he did last year in Toronto was way high end for his career. Yes. And a lot of what you were like, which guy were you going to get? Who, you know, the guy that San Antonio was probably happy to unload to Toronto because he hadn't been all that good for them for the couple years before that, or the guy that was in Toronto. And the answer was closer to the San Antonio version, but he's still so valuable for some of the other things that he can do for a team with a strong defensive culture because he doesn't make mistakes and he's always going to make the right rotation. He's always going to call out the right thing. He can guard a few different types of people. And, you know, even when he has been playing relatively poorly, his overall impact on the team is still positive because 
he doesn't fuck up shit. You know, UCP has cut down on the amount of stuff that he he fucks up. We we were talking about this actually before the show began. KCP's improvement just as a decision maker this season has really been notable. And, And it's part of the reason why I think he can be kept on the floor even on nights where his shot isn't falling. You know, similar to what you were talking about with Danny. And, you know, Danny has had, I think, more of a, he's definitely had more of a disappointing season in terms of that shooting. But you watch Danny on the floor. He does not make a lot of mistakes, man. Like not, you know, whether in real time or I'll I'll rewind him sometime. Like it's a lot like Caruso. You know, part of what's helped Caruso build out the role that he has now, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, like, and Danny Green will do some things that are goofy. Like, you know, tonight he, you know, put the ball on the floor and he kind of got in no man's land, turned the ball over, tried, you know, tried to throw the ball back out and turn it over. Like there were some bad plays in there. And I think he's hurt, like we talked about with Harrison. But, I mean, I think with KCP, too, what really helps is the decisions get better because the decision tree is smaller. When you know, when, when they were struggling and, you know, everybody's hurt and, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope is like a featured member of your offense, he's making more choices. He's making more decisions. Now you're working with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. It, it's much more binary. You just, you know, you need to be here. You either shoot, you pump, you put the ball on the floor, whatever. And you know the the paths to making the extra pass, the extra look, it like it's it's just easier. I and mean, this is the impact that having two guys who are that good, and it's not just KCP that it, that that phenomenon works for. It's Caruso, it's Kuzma, it's like Avery Bradley. I think particularly thrived, um, you know, with with in understanding where the holes come and the opportunities come when you play with guys that good. Uh, and you know, so I mean, I think it's great. I mean, like. He's the kind of guy that you could plug in on this team if he's not, you know, doesn't need to be paid, you know, 13, 14 million a year. If he's willing to take with the Lakers, he could be here for another, and we joke about it, but like he could really genuinely be here now for another half decade. Oh, yeah. He, his, his final season as a Laker, he'll be Bronny's teammate and, and they'll both be clutch clients. And by that point, because we've talked about uh, KCP's salary as, you know, the, he was for a while the, the clutch mole in bringing right. in eventually bringing in lebron and you know reporting things to rich paul that would get turned around. Away for clutch clutch oh. clutch had a really good night tonight clutch did have a good night tonight they, they've actually had a good off season uh they signed gary trent jr one of the uh bubble breakout yeah. guys um we've already had a couple questions in the in the periscope uh whether or not the lakers could go after gary trent i recognize that clutch has a very good uh no. presence no. inside uh the no. laker franchise no Gary Trent's looking to get paid, and Rich Paul's not going to talk him out of his first big contract to help LeBron get another ring. That's not going to happen. Uh-uh. Uh, they're not going, nor nor should it. That, nope. that, that's not going to be the case. But yeah, I mean, K- KCP, uh, he will be Bronny's teammate. At that point, he will be on a veteran's minimum, um, perhaps getting set up uh, for like a Udonis Haslam type role uh, with the organization after his career ends. And everybody will be happy. Let me. This occurred to me because you know LeBron, thirty-five years old, and I saw, I saw he was either on Twitter. Or somebody made a reference to Bronny. Like, Tyler Hero is twenty. Like theoretically, you know, if you match the ages up right, like couldn't Tyler Hero and Bronny be like college teammates? Or like, could you have like? Would it work where like Bronny would be a freshman when Hero was like? a senior or something like that, or if, at worst it's off by a year. Like that's gotta be absolutely crazy. If you're LeBron to be to like, kind of oh. like you put that in perspective, like to think about a guy who is, who could like, you're playing with guys against guys like, you know, Horton Tucker is 19. He absolutely could be Bronny's teammate. Well, remember that's last year. gotta be weird. Well, remember last year, LeBron, talked about how and I don't think he meant this as a total negative in terms of guys like B.I. and, and Lonzo and Josh Harden even Kuzma you know the, the young guys Zubats you know the young guys who were on the team last year but in terms of relating to them he said those guys are closer to Bronny's age than mine like yeah. they, they have more in common with my teenage son than they have with me and I, I like I remember the final season that Phil coached with the Lakers, and that was, you know, when he came back for that 2011 season, 
he had said in his 2010 exit interview that he was debating retiring and he was really giving serious thought to it. I know a lot of people thought that that was Phil trying to do a leverage ploy. And you and I were both like, no, he's really debating this. He looks like a guy that is ready to go out on a high note. And Kobe and Fish and a bunch of other guys, you know, Janie, I'm sure, too, uh, Dr. Buss, talked him into coming back to go for that three-peat. And over the course of the year, and we, we ended up learning after the fact that Phil was also dealing with a cancer scare, but over the course of that year, Phil looked disconnected from that team Completely. as it went along. And there was a lot that was going on with that team. Sure. But he actually talked about how it was getting harder for him to relate to some of the younger guys on the team. And, you know, that's just that's a natural thing. I mean, like it's it's something that I haven't necessarily felt covering athletes as, you know, they come into the league and I and I'm getting older. But I do know that it's something that I have to be open minded towards well, in order to make sure that doesn't happen. That's what I think makes guys like Kerr and Pop. You know, it, it's not that they're geniuses. I mean, all they, they are. It's that they have a flexibility in how they kind of view the world to where they are able to shift style. They're able. I'm not saying I'm sure there are times Pop looks at the guys on his roster, the younger guys going, I don't. I don't get you. Um, and obviously, you know, like their 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 performance. You know, it's much easier to look like a genius when you have Robinson, Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker for that many years, and then you get Kawhi. Like you know, it's easy, and like you know, that team has not been nearly as effective over the last year or two. But like, he's changed how he coaches that team. Like what what the Spurs are good at. Steve Kerr has is a very flexible guy in terms of open mindedness of ways of thinking and 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 stuff like that. Like that's what allows you to coach for a long time and connect to different generations of players and all that. The really rigid guys, you know, who are sort of the, you know, I don't think Phil has that. Um, I think he is a little bit too. Um, Ego driven. I think he's a little bit too much about you know, for all the you know the shaman and the incense and and all that. So I just don't. I don't think he's quite that guy. You could see it how he talked about LeBron, you know, with his posse and his all this other. Like there's just there's there's too much of that sort of passive aggressive. Like no, I'm the guy who knows better. And and, and, and he can't be a. I don't think he could be a coach anymore. No, I I don't think so. I mean. It, you, you see the lack of flexibility just in the way that he insisted with the Knicks that they run the triangle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I are both – neither one of us are guys that think that, you know, the triangle was overrated as a system. You know, it's just – well, if you have MJ and Pippen and then Kobe no. Shaq, Kobe Powell, you know, anybody. No, it, the triangle during that heyday was a really great shit, system. Shit seemed to work pretty good. It did. It did. But the game has changed a lot. And also, too, I think players – are now brought up in a specific way, you know, that matches more the way the game is played now. Like yeah. in, in a lot of ways, they're not prepped to play a, a type of style that really favors the yeah. triangle. And it's it's just, I think with Phil, it just became kind of a again, it was an ego thing. It was a it was a, there was there was just that lack of willingness to kind of transform himself in meaningful ways. Um and this, like, I mean, the guy is, if not the, I mean, he's still probably the greatest head coach of all time. I mean, like, one of them. I mean, you know, he's he's on the Andy, he's on the Mount Rushmore. Um, but you know, I mean, that doesn't mean he's he's he has every skill that other guys have. So, I just, I, I think, you know, what we're seeing out of you know a guy like Spolstra, what we see out of somebody like Vogel, like you know, you can watch guys coach, you know, right now in these series and. You know, next year when Steve Kerr comes back with a little bit of a different roster and what it's going to be like, I, I the, the game. I you know people are concerned about ratings and this and that whatever. The game itself, I think, is in an interesting spot where you've got a ton of really good up and coming young players. You've got older guys who are you know still very good. Um, you know, and in, in, in their their prime or primish years. I mean, it's going to be competitive again. Whatever next season looks like, it's going to be competitive again. And you know, the Lakers are going to have a chance to presumably defend a title like in a meaningful way yeah neither one of us thought that this year 
you know, they needed to win a championship just because the the window was going to shut because LeBron was going to fall off the map. Like it's nothing like that. I just I'm a big believer in the best opportunity you have to win a championship is the one that's legitimately in front of you right now. Yeah. And you have no you have no idea what the future holds. Well, it, that being I, said, I, yeah. That being said, the window does look a bit more open than I had anticipated heading into this season. Yeah, especially when, but especially when you become very clearly the best team left. I mean, I think you know at the beginning of the bubble there was some question as to who the best team was going to be, and as team, you know, as it played out, and you started to see which teams dropped off, and it's just from a talent, and then what the Lakers looked like. Um, in the well, you know, once the playoffs started, and what AD looked like elevated, and what LeBron looked like, oh yeah, there's playoff LeBron. It became clear that they were the best team, and so it's particularly, I think, important, Andy, what you're talking about when you really are the best team. I, I just don't think LeBron is ever going to give away another series like 2011. You know, like yeah, that, I mean, that was that's the only one where you look at and go, okay, that one he should have won. Because they had the better team, and this is the better team. The Lakers are the better team in this series, and I just don't see LeBron giving it away. No, I mean, he inexplicably did not play well in those playoffs. It's the only time it's ever happened. I mean, 2007, his Cavs got swept by right. Tim Just that finals, too. Up to that point, he was really good. Right, but I mean, the only reason that team was in the finals was because of LeBron. Like mm-hmm. he was the whole reason, like the sole re- that team had no business being in the final. They didn't have any business being in the Eastern Conference Finals, much less the finals. Had LeBron not been there, like, and then those those series that he played against Golden State, his team was always the underdog in every single one of them. And then I, I would say against Miami, uh, against uh, San Antonio, it's a fairly even match. They mm-hmm. split. You know, they were, I think, favored against OKC, and I believe they won in five games. So you have that one one series against Miami that, you know, it sounds like LeBron hasn't forgotten. He has said, you know, that that time that they were up, I think it was 2-1 or 2-0, and they lost a game still eats at him. Like, I, I think he learned a lot from that. And part of the reason that you know he's learned is, as you talked about, he's not going to let it happen again. Yep. All right. So um, everybody's going to have to wait until Friday. I mean, now they choose to have an extra day. It's like, really, guys? I mean, come on. We've been going every other day. I realize the players probably don't mind, but, you know, I was ready to have a game Game five be Thursday, but we'll see. Lakers looking to finish off a uh, a, a, a foursome of gentlemen sweeps, yes. basically, um, which would be an impressive achievement. You go 16 and four through the bubble. Um, I'd be damn I'd be impressed. Pretty damn um, great lineup of guests for the rest of the week. Tomorrow night, Steve Mason's going to join us. Uh, Thursday, th- Thursday, 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 uh, Wazni Lambre uh, is going to, and then Friday, we're, uh, I think we'll have Clinton Yates. So yeah. just a great, great lineup of dudes. And next week, very excited to welcome back Gustavo Ariano. Yes. Um, who's going to be talking voting and tortillas because he's got yes. a tortilla tournament that he's, he's like two, two things that we both up. care a lot about. Um, uh, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen, uh, mm-hmm. rest in peace, Johnny Nash, the great, uh, reggae legend also died today. a tough day in music, but, uh, Eddie Van Halen, obviously, uh, an LA guy through and through. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so, and that was, he'd been battling cancer for a long time, but I mean, that, that was one that you could just, see over uh social media hit a lot of people pretty hard yeah um so thanks john we appreciate the 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 kind words about the show thanks jester guru for that as well um we see your guys for comments we really appreciate we love this platform and the ability to kind of be interactive when we do this show um do download the the um podcast so if you ever miss an episode uh, and you can't watch the replay, whether Facebook or, or on YouTube, you can always download and uh, the, the podcast, review it, rate it. Uh, it's actually kind of helpful for us. If you do, we'd appreciate it. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Steve Mason coming up tomorrow night. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow. Thank you, Nidalan. <laughs>